all those fairy tales, all those old stories. Um, some good stories start like this. In a hole in the ground, there lived a hobbit. I like that story. Um, this is a good one. Buttercup was raised on a small farm in the country of Florin. Also a good one. Or maybe my favorite way a story begins. We've got Mr. and Mrs. Dursley of number four, Privet Drive. We're proud to say that they were perfectly normal. Thank you very much. So we've got these stories, and they all begin with these, these lines that just capture our attention. What's a hobbit? Where is the hole? Why is the hobbit in a hole? Who's Buttercup? Where is Florin? Or who are Mr. and Mrs. Dursley, and why are they so worried about being normal? Because honestly, there's no one who's normal, right? We're all a little bit weird. So who are these people? What are their stories? And these stories capture our attention. And the story invites us into the world that the author has created. And the funny thing is we can find ourselves in these stories. We can identify with the characters. We see our good traits and our bad traits portrayed in these stories. And these stories also have the power to shape us. And one of these powerful stories is Harry Potter, uh, like I just mentioned with Mr. and Mrs. Dursley. So a few years ago, there was a study about people who read Harry Potter, and the results were that kids who read Harry Potter growing up tended to be more empathetic and have less prejudice towards my minority groups. So stories have the power to get into our bones and shape how we view the world and also who we are as people. So God likes a good story, too. Um, there's the grand story that he's weaving throughout everything, throughout history and creation, the story of the creation and the fall and redemption through Jesus Christ. And within this big story, there are little stories. These are our stories. And if our stories tell us anything, it's that God loves an underdog. He loves the unexpected heroes. So our text today is from Second Chronicles. And Second Chronicles is part of the history of the kings of Judah, following the line of King David, the guy who slayed Goliath. That's a pretty good underdog story right there. Um, so we're in chapter 34 of Second Chronicles, and it begins this way. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. Hold on, what? Eight, eight years old? I talked to Drake Glenn this morning. He's eight years old. So let's picture Drake Glenn as king of Judah because it's an eight-year-old king. Like we, we read that and we're like, oh, he was an eight-year-old king. That's, that's cute. That's fun. It's, it's, it's the Bible. Things happen. But we read that and it's like, what? There's an eight-year-old king? So we as the reader have got to be ready for anything to happen in this story. Because, I mean, it's an eight-year-old king. Literally anything could happen next, and it shouldn't surprise us, right? Like, there's no rules when an eight-year-old is the king. It's like home alone, but instead of just a house, we've got an eight-year-old kid who's in charge of a country. So this opening line of the story invites us to expect the unexpected, because we have an eight-year-old king. Oh my goodness, we don't let presidents be president unless they're 35 or older, right? Eight years old. 
So these are, this is an unexpected story, right? And these are the stories that God likes to tell. God likes to tell the story of an eight-year-old king or of elderly women having babies or of a people walking around a city until the walls fall down or perhaps most unexpected, God born as a human in Bethlehem of all places. God works in unexpected ways, in unexpected stories. So we've got this eight-year-old king. Well, let's lengthen the odds just a little bit, right? Like, just because he's eight years old, we need to add more adversity to his life. So if we had to predict any of the kings, you look at their life circumstances, you're like, oh, that king will turn out good, or that'll be a bad king. We would not predict that Josiah would be a good one. So not only is he an eight-year-old king, which is itself a recipe for all sorts of mischief and chaos and craziness, but he's also got some horrible, horrible influences in his life. So his grandfather, Manasseh, he, he ruled for 55 years, which is a nice long rule. Um, Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king. And by all accounts, he was the worst king ever. Like, by a mile, worst king of all time. So he erected altars to other gods throughout the land. He introduced the worship of other gods into the temple in Jerusalem. That's a big no-no. He sacrificed several of his sons in the fire to a foreign god. That's, that's not good. He practiced witchcraft. He basically did all the things that God says, don't do those things in this book. He did all of them. And he ruled 55 years. So Josiah spent the first six years of his life growing up under the rule of his grandfather. And then, when his grandfather died, died, his father became king, and he ruled for two years, and he was just as bad as Manasseh. And then he was so bad, he was assassinated, and that's how we get an eight-year-old king on the throne of Judah. So Josiah is the king at eight years old, and if the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, he is in big trouble. Things are not going to go well for him. So with all of this background context, all, of all the bad influences, of the fact that he's eight years old, verse 2 comes as a complete shock to us as a reader. Remember, unexpected things. So verse 2 says, He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. You guys see how shocking that is? This is like the kid who grew up in the wrong neighborhood, joining gangs, growing up to become the chief of police. Or like the kid who's just completely spoiled, rotten, becoming humble and generous later in life. So Josiah was an eight-year-old king, and he had the worst influences. And despite all of that, he turned out to be better than any king since King David. And he chose the right path, despite his family background. So let me tell you, this Father's Day, this might be a painful day for some of you. Um, you might not have had a good father. You might not have had a father at all. Um, so if you don't come from a great family, you are not doomed to end up like them. You are your own person. And you are responsible for how you act and behave regardless of what other people do. Your story can end up different than their stories. So like all of us, Josiah had to navigate some of these negative influences in his life. And he rejected those negative influences, and he clung to the good ones. 
So verse 2 continues, Josiah walked in the ways of his father David, not turning to the right or to the left. So with no immediate good influences around him, he looked back. and He had to look back quite a, quite a ways, 300 or 400 years, back to his ancestor David. So David was king several hundred years before Josiah, and he was a good king. He was a man after God's own heart. He was humble and repentant when he sinned. He wrote many of the Psalms. He was a model for what a godly king and a godly person should look like. So Josiah took that model and ran with it. So we need to find the good influences in our families, and we need to walk in their footsteps. Even if we have to look back a few hundred years. I'm lucky enough to have here today a bunch of family up here. Grandparents, my mom, my in-laws. Good influences that I can look up to. People who have been great role models to me showing me what it's like to live a faithful life. And if I walk in the path that they have made, I think I'll turn out just fine because of their influence and their legacy. So we need to find the people in our family trees who have lived a faithful life, and we need to walk in their footsteps. So in addition to a long-dead king, Josiah had other influences around him. So one of them was Jeremiah the prophet. Jeremiah was about two years older than Josiah, um, and they they must have known each other because Jeremiah's father was the high priest when Josiah was king. Um, Josiah ended up marrying Jeremiah's daughter, and then when Josiah died, Jeremiah preached his funeral service. These men were close friends influencing each other. So we all need a God-fearing friend in our lives to walk with us as we follow Jesus. Josiah had Jeremiah to encourage him um, and also to gently correct him if he needed to be corrected. And these kind of friendships are vital for disciples of Jesus. Faith is not a solo thing. We need other people. Faith is a community thing. We need other people like Josiah needed Jeremiah. And faithful friends are a requirement for living a faithful life. So what does that faithful life look like? Let's look, at, let's look at Josiah's life. So he was eight years old when he became king. And in the eighth year of his reign, so he was 16 years old, he began to seek God. We see that in verse 3. And the story makes a note that he was still young. I mean, a 16-year-old king, I mean, maybe that's twice as good as an eight-year-old king, but that's still a very young king. We are never too old or too young for God to use us and use our stories. So I think a verse that we all hear, uh, need to hear today is 1 Timothy 4.12, which says, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love, in faith and in purity. So if you are young, welcome to some of you high school students, if you're young, don't let other people look down on you. Don't let it happen. Don't let them do that. Older people, don't look down on younger people. God can use young people, and sometimes young people are the best models of faith and love that we have. So it's time that we began to take young people seriously, because God takes young people seriously. If he can use an eight-year-old king, he can use an eight-year-old here at FUMC Sweetwater. God can do that. He's in the business of using unexpected people. 
So in the 12th year of his reign, we're looking at a 20-year-old Josiah now. Um, he began to purge Jerusalem and Judah of all of the idol worship that his father and his grandfather had begun. After four years of walking with God, he began to see what was wrong with his people and also what needed to be done to fix that. So part of walking with God is helping other people to walk with God. Again, it's a community thing, and we need each other. A faithful life involves inviting other people to throw down their idols to worship the one true God. So because it's Father's Day, I feel like I have to speak a little more on this. There we go. Um, I want to address fathers, but also mothers and grandparents. And even if you're not a parent yet, I think this is important. Um, Parents, a faithful uh, Christian life means creating a legacy of faith for your kids. You guys have probably heard this stat by now. 70% of Christian high school students leave the faith in college. That's insane. 70%, 7 out of 10, will leave the faith. And a lot of people want to look at college and look at the things that happen at college and like, oh, it's just a bad situation, and that's, that's why people are leaving. But I think the real issue is that we have a legacy problem. We have a discipleship deficiency with our kids and our youth. Students are walking away from the faith because the legacy they are receiving is that Jesus is just not that important. So... You might be thinking, well, how are they how are they hearing that? They come to church and they their parents are Christians. How do they how do they think that Jesus is not that important? Who's telling them that? For one, they hear that through actions, not through words. Nobody's sitting there telling these Christian youth, oh, by the way, Jesus just isn't that important. Like the the people, the Christians in their lives are not saying that. It's the actions that are speaking. So kids pick up on it when parents treat church as optional. When parents routinely, even if it's once or twice a month, they're missing church for something else, for sports or sleeping in or going to the lake or whatever, kids pick up on that. Church is seen as an accessory to a life rather than life itself. And accessories are optional and can be discarded when they're inconvenient. Another thing, and this is probably bigger than church attendance, is kids pick up on if their parents are Christians beyond Sunday morning. So you guys are in the pews today. Great. What does your faith look like on Monday or Thursday or Saturday? What does your faith look like outside of this hour or two that we're here in the church on Sunday morning? If kids don't see their parents praying, reading the scriptures, or living life like Jesus is alive, kids pick up on that. What are they supposed to think? Can we really blame them for thinking that Jesus just isn't that important if if we're not demonstrating that Jesus is the ultimate thing of importance. The kids that stick with their faith, the 30%, they're the ones that see a faithful life modeled for them. Parents, your kids have a 70% chance of walking away. So what are you prioritizing? What legacy are you creating with your kids? Show your kids that following Jesus is a 24-7 thing, not just two hours a week, not just Sunday and Wednesday. It's 24-7, 365 for a lifetime. So let's look back at Josiah. 
In the 18th year of his reign, when he was 26, Josiah was renovating the temple when the priest, Jeremiah's father, found the book of the law, which had been lost for years, unread, untouched, unmissed, really, in the life of Judah. And most scholars think that this book was the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy was Moses' farewell sermon to the people of Israel. It's his final instructions that he gave before death, and it was a manual for living a faithful life. So at 26 years old, Josiah began to pay attention to God's word. And this is something that just struck me this morning. Um, As I was preparing this sermon, I was 25 years old. And just this morning, I turned 26, and it, it just dawned on me that oh, I'm the same age as as Josiah here. It didn't hit me that this was going to be the case until just this morning. So at 26, at my age, Josiah began to pay attention to God's word. And what he found in it, that he and the people around him were not meeting the standards that God had set for them. And this is what happens when the Bible gets neglected. Like, We have the Bible. We haven't lost the book of Deuteronomy or lost the Gospels or any of Paul's letters. We have them here in our Bibles. But we still neglect the Bible all the time, right? I think we each approximately have about 83 Bibles at our houses just sitting there. We've got like eight living room Bibles. We probably have four or five in our bedrooms. There's probably a few in the kitchen. Um, We're all walking around with Bibles right now if we've got smartphones. We've got Bibles in here. So we all have Bibles all around us, most likely in every single room of the house, right? And if we're honest with ourselves, a lot of these are covered in dust. You know, they're just sitting there. They're just like a a wall decoration that's, that's there to be seen, but not to be used or opened or experienced. And we neglect God's word when we sit, and we sit around wondering why God's distance. Like, God, why won't you speak to me? And he's like, I don't know, maybe because the Bible's not open in front of you? We neglect God and we neglect the Bible. Do we know what's in this book? Do we know what it says? Do we know the grand story that God is telling? Because again, our lives are stories, but they will only find their meaning if they are within God's story. So we have to know the story that God is telling to find our stories. Josiah was so moved by the words of Scripture that he tore his robe and he wept. So what would our lives look like if we took God's word seriously? What would our church look like if the dust gathered on our TVs instead of on our Bibles? How would God work in this community if his people turned to him and sought him out with all their hearts and all their minds and all their souls and all their strength? So Josiah encountered God's word and was changed for it. He was humbled and he was repentant. And his story, Josiah's God story, was marked by increasing faithfulness throughout his life. He started walking with God at 16. He started reforming his people at 20. And at 26, he encountered God's word. And his story is a God story. So what would it look like if we lived out our God stories? So first of all, like Josiah We have to reject the bad influences in our lives. We need to honestly ask, who or what around me is hindering me from worshiping God? Are friends tempting me into sin every time I see them? 
is social media pulling me into the comparison game of, oh, I'm jealous of their life, or I wish I was more fit or more rich or I could travel more or any of these things. Is social media causing us to be jealous of other people? So we need to reject anything that is influencing us away from the worship of God. Jesus said, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Take drastic action and get rid of the sin in your life. So for some of us, God might be calling us today to cut off a relationship that's pulling us away from him. Taking drastic action to avoid sin. Second, we must live out our God stories by surrounding ourselves with people who follow Jesus with us. Jesus had many people that walked around with him, and it was a community of following. He had the 12 disciples, but he also had the 72 that the scripture talks about. Um, he, had, he had a lot of followers that walked with him as a community. We need good friends like Josiah with Jeremiah. We need family members who can show us what it looks like to follow Jesus 24-7. Family members who can build that legacy that we can join in. We need to seek out mentors of people who have been following Jesus for longer than we have. And then we need to look for people who have been following Jesus for a shorter time than we have and pour into them. Third thing we have to do to live a faithful life is to seek out and live according to God's word. King Josiah was humbled by God's word. He encountered God in here. And through the pages of scripture, we can encounter God as well. We have the opportunity to breathe in his words, and we are called to meditate on them day and night. We are called to live by the words of this book. We are called to live into the story that God is weaving throughout history. And by doing all of these things, we will leave a legacy, a good legacy, a real, lasting legacy. I'm convinced that it is the small acts of faithfulness done daily over a lifetime that matter the most. Not the big, grand gestures of, I'm going to move to Africa and be a missionary, but it's the small, everyday faithfulness of daily prayer, of daily reading of scripture, of daily conversations with friends and family, and a daily evaluation of who or what am I worshiping. And over a lifetime, these things add up. Pastor Eugene Peterson says that this is the long obedience in the same direction. That's what it is to follow Jesus. It is the long obedience in the same direction. When we're faithful in the little things, God shows up and makes our stories into God's stories. He takes unlikely people. He takes the eight-year-old king with the horrible influences and makes him into a good king. God made a happy ending from that story. And if he can do that, if he can take this eight-year-old king and guide him through life, then he can make a glorious God story out of your life. Amen.